Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Data Access Golf. My name is Aaron Stewart. This is our first podcast, and I'm happy to have you here with us. Um, This basically is just about golf, all things about golf and how to rapidly improve at golf, and we do it a little differently. Um, Who am I and why should you care? It's a great question. I ask it myself all the time. But um, why I love golf. I think everybody's got a good golf story and why they love it. For me, it started out when I was pretty young. My grandfather loved golf and uh, gave me a little club, you know, the same old story that you hear about. But as I grew older, I realized that if I let grandpa know I wanted to go play golf, that my father couldn't keep me from that, right? My grandpa would call my dad and say, I'm taking Aaron golfing, and then I didn't have to go work on the project that weekend. So that became my first motivation, was just to get out of work. But I love spending time with grandpa. He would bring sometimes some of my cousins and we'd get together, and it grew into something that was a very special relationship. Um, It then grew to where we started to spend summers together up in Star Valley, Wyoming, where he summered with his brothers had golf courses up there, so I'd play with the great uncles, and I'd play with cousins, and we'd just have a great time. And then Grandpa kind of made this sort of goal for us, right, to kind of keep us interested. He said, you know, as soon as you beat me, the first time that you beat me, any grandchild beats me, it's a 100 bucks. And so to us back then, maybe a 100 bucks doesn't sound like much, but to us, man, that just seemed like that was the holy grail. So I started practicing and working and playing and had a great time at it. I mean, It was so fun to play with Grandpa because he was so complimentary, right? If you hit a good drive, he would always kind of freak out a little bit and, whoa, you hit that ball a country mile. And, or if, uh, if he had a really like crisp iron shot and just kind of smoked one, um, he would say like, you, you hit that ball out of its cover, you know, stuff like that was just, I was gold for me. I just loved it as a kid to get those sorts of compliments and have him proud of me and, I loved it. I loved every part of it. I loved being outside and the smells. And uh, Star Valley, Wyoming is just gorgeous. Just the scenery and golf courses in general. I mean, just awesome. I just loved how short the, the greens were, right? You could putt on grass. All of it was just fascinating to me. And Grandpa was so cool about teaching us shots and showing us. And um, it was just fun. It was just really, really good times. Sometime during, somewhere during that summer time working together, on our games, and, and we'd actually go out and work on golf courses and, and did some things, too, to kind of help the family. But during that time, he kind of mentioned, hey, what about playing on the high school golf team? Do you think that would be something you'd be interested in? I thought, you know what? Yeah, I think that'd be cool. And uh, really worried about going into high school anyway. So I thought, hey, if I could figure out a way to get on the high school team, then that would be pretty great. It didn't really work out for me that freshman year. I didn't make it, didn't even come close. But worked again hard that freshman summer. And I went out and made the golf team, quote unquote, air quotes, made the golf team. It was really no secret, though, that the the real reason I was on the golf team was because my father uh, kindly purchased the entire team matching golf pants. Uh, They were khakis and ugly, but still the matching golf pants kind of sealed the deal for me to be on the golf team. But it was still cool. It was a good it was a good team with a lot of good players accomplished players. Um, one of the players on the team now coaches golf at, at the collegiate level. So good players. We won state uh, f- 
let's see, two out of the three years I was on the team, those last three years. So that was kind of fun to at least be part of it and see it. Uh, so I really enjoyed it, enjoyed kind of grandpa being proud of me, all that sort of thing. But that was when I graduated from high school in 1985, then that sort of changed a little bit. I see grandpa a little bit, but you know, now you're off to, um, now you're off to doing other things in life, right? And kind of growing up. And so golf just kind of didn't kind of fit in as much. But when I, when I could, when I get back and visit grandpa, sometimes we'd always go play golf together. And so we always had that kind of bond. And I had it with, with a cousin of mine. And so we, I still had that a little bit. But in uh, 1995, I believe it was, uh, grandpa died. Grandpa passed away. And it was, uh, it was the day after my birthday. Um, and it wasn't, uh, I didn't take it well. Um, it's sort of a backstory of that is I, I was working... I was working for my dad, uh, putting in a fence one day. I had to be put in, and I was just work, kind of working alone, and everybody was gone, and I was really kind of ticked off. It was raining, it was slippery, and I'm building this barbed wire fence, and um, I'm struggling. I mean, I don't know if you've run fences before and these big, heavy rolls of barbed wire, and I was struggling, and my grandpa pulled up to kind of check on me, and it was raining, and it was, um, it was gross. It was gross outside and slippery. And he saw me struggling and he saw me having a hard time. He got out of his car and I was telling him, Grandpa, don't, you know, don't come down here. Stay up there. But he wouldn't listen. He never listened. But he came down. He grabbed the other side of the, the post of me and, and helped me run a couple lines of barbed wire. And then uh, exhausted himself and uh, went on to have a stroke and eventually died. So this whole passing away, I took... A lot of guilt. I felt really bad about it. And this was the man that introduced me to golf. And so golf, frankly, in my emotional state, took a big hit. And uh, I'd play it here and there, and, uh, but it just wasn't the same. I didn't have the passion for it anymore. It was, it was more of a thing you do to kind of, uh, you know, get away from the world. But it wasn't something that was, I was passionate about. And that kind of went on for a few years. And then 1998, I got married to a wonderful girl, um, love of my life. She's the best. And, um, you know, 10 months later, nine months later, I mean, pretty quickly, right after we got married, we had our first child in 1999, our oldest boy. And I was a proud papa. And so golf really takes a hit then, right? I mean, all of a sudden you're a, a husband and you're a father and you better make ends meet and you got mouths, mouths to feed. And, and so I went to work and golf definitely was basically dead. I did not play golf um, after that point uh, at all, really. I had some friends pull me out. I had a good friend that was in the neighborhood that started playing golf, and he knew that I enjoyed it at some point. So he'd pull me out to the golf course a couple times. There was really nothing to it. I, I actually got rid of my golf clubs and just kind of cashed the whole thing in. But around, uh, oh, I don't know, around 2006, right? So 2007, our oldest was going to turn eight and 2000. So around 2006, I realized, hey, my oldest is going to be eight and he's going to be able to, you know, kind of legally go on the golf course and start playing this game. And, and I wanted to have the type of relationship with my son as I had with my grandfather. And so golf seemed like the perfect vehicle for that. And I was getting to the point where I missed it. So I decided to go back into it. So I, I, I gathered up some clubs, went back into it, joined a club, and I started going to this club. And I, as I was starting to get back into it, I met this guy um, who was very interesting, right? He's just kind of a free spirit. 
he had like long flowing hair. He kind of spoke a little California dude-ish, you know, and, but just loved to play golf. He had sort of an interesting view of golf. It was sort of a, you know, the sort of a, an emotional kind of a experience for him. It's just completely different dude. But he's a wonderful guy, and I enjoyed playing with him. We started playing a lot together. And so I kind of got his backstory and kind of figured out where he learned to play golf, and he learned to play golf in California. And he talked about this golf coach of his um, that taught him basically from the time he decided to play golf until right then. And, and this man's name is Fred Shoemaker. He, uh, he owns the Extraordinary Golf Schools, and he and his wife and his team are fantastic. Extraordinary Golf is a is an amazing place. And so I, I learned a little bit about extraordinary golf. And then Thane and I decided to go down there and take a school together, you know, go attend a school together. So we went down there and I went and experienced that. And that's in and of itself a pretty crazy story because it was different than what I was expecting, but it was great. By the end of it, it was great. I had some tough times getting into it, but, but by the end of it, it was fantastic. And I was all in and Fred Shoemaker became, as far as I was concerned, my golf coach. And uh, he's got a couple books out there that are fantastic. And so I started kind of going in and I would go to schools down there. I would go, I had a couple private lessons with him in uh, 2011 ish. I think I started in what they called their mastery program where you would meet twice a year and then have calls every month. And it was with a group of people and it was just all about golf, all aspects of golf and how it changes your life. And it gets kind of deep, right? It gets kind of crazy, but it's fantastic and it's really good work. And so it was around this time, right? I'm, I'm in mastery. It's 2010, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I want to be a club champion. I, I, that became a goal. I think I, I'm working with Fred Shoemaker. I'm getting better. I think I can be a club champion, which is completely ridiculous because in 2007 was my first time playing in a club championship officially. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't even remember what my handicap was, but it was somewhere around, a, I don't know, 10, 15, somewhere in there. I had, and I remember standing on the first tee thinking, hey, if I catch lightning in a bottle, I could win this thing, which is preposterous. It was the, I mean, give me a break. I don't know how many of you have thought that, right? You stand on the first tee and and uh, illusions of grandeur flow into your head and you think somehow or another, you know, you're going to be, you know, Justin Thomas that day and it never works out. But anyway, I, I go into this round. I remember the first round distinctly. I walk I, I, off of hole eight. I'm two over par, which I mean, right? I mean, for 10, 15 handicap, that's crazy. I'm thinking this is lightning in a bottle and I'm in the middle of it. I mean, I'm in the zone. I'm killing it right now. And so I go off to the, the ninth tee. The ninth tee at the club here is a, it's a par three and there's water all down the right. And you guys probably know the story. I did shank one into the water and it's brutal. So I walk off just off the corner of the tee and I have to drop right there because that's where it went in the water. And I proceed to shake another one into the water. And then I shake another one into the water. And I just remember mentally going blank just black. I couldn't, I couldn't remember how to take the club back. I was completely freaked out and paralyzed, right? I, I had nothing. I'm looking at the two guys sitting on the green waiting for me and they're, I can tell they're freaking out. They're uncomfortable, right? When you get in that situation where somebody's completely melting down and you, you just feel horrible for them, well, they're there, right? And I'm seeing this and I'm feeling bad because they're feeling bad and I just put three in the water. 
I eventually, uh, I think I put another one in the water. I actually had to chip out sideways and kind of bunt it down this par three to get off the hole. And I took a 16 on the hole. Um, not great. Not great for your self-esteem. Not great for anything. I tried to calm myself down. I didn't quit the tournament, which is probably the biggest accomplishment of the entire experience is that I didn't quit. I just kept fighting through. I finished dead last. It was awful, right? I mean, just kind of put you in your place. So now here I am three, three years later and now, hey, maybe I could be club champion with that as a memory. It was kind of crazy. But anyway, I worked with Fred. I worked really hard. I figured if I can get to the point where I'm good enough to be a club champion, I will have the golf swing down. I will understand it. And I will be able to share with my kids. I'll be able to do whatever I want to do with golf. I will kind of my life. And so I go off and do that and um, work with Fred. Well, 2013, I finish, eight, I finish a club championship, tied for the lead. We go out on the first sudden death hole. I hold like a six-footer for par. And that's it. I'm club champion. I've done it. So from the time I met Fred in 2006, 2007 to 2013, I'm now a club champion. I go from an 18 handicap to I think I was three, four, five, somewhere in there at that time. And I become the club champion. I, I played really well. I played, a, I played you know, better than my handicap, which is rare, tough to do. And so I, I finished this and I'm really, really not happy. I'm club champion, I've, I've checked off a goal, and I realize I am not happy because I know in my mind that I just got lucky, right? Two weeks later, I'm shooting in the 80s again, um, struggling, trying to figure things out, developed a snap hook, don't know why. It, it's, golf can be super frustrating that way. And so th this winning of the club champ, I felt like a fake, I felt like a phony, because I didn't know my golf swing. I didn't know what I was doing. And yet, you know, people are referring to me as club champion. I'm embarrassed to go out and play because I might shoot 80. I'm like, what in the world? This is a club champion, whatever? Um, I, actually went, I actually went and played in a uh, state am qualifier <clears throat> and shot like 87. And one of the guys that was, I was playing with me had found out, he was like, you're the club champion? And it was at my club. And I'm like, yeah. It was awful, right? Super embarrassing. So this whole, this whole accomplishment turned out to be not cool for me. But, but it, it fired something up in me where I said, you know what? I don't care if I win another tournament, whatever. I, I want to know how to play golf. I want to know my golf swing. And when something goes wrong, I want to be able to fix it. And I, I don't get this. I don't understand why I don't understand. I'm, I'm, Fred Schumacher's taught me a lot. I'm a lot better. It has nothing to do with Fred Schumacher. It has my ability to take in all this information and somehow or another make it so I know what's going on. And I didn't. And so, uh, I mean, all the practice and all this stuff was helping me play better, but I still didn't get what was going on. And I couldn't fix myself. And that was super frustrating for me, just kind of the way my brain works. So I thought there's, there's got to be a better way. Right? I'm not, I'm not going to stop working with Fred Shoemaker because he's the best in the business. There's no question in my mind. He's, the, he's literally, he is the best golf coach in the world, bar none, period, end of story, as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, I, I don't care who you are. As far as anybody's concerned, Fred Shoemaker's the guy. All right. So 
it was at, at this time, is so this is 2013. A couple months later, and this is the coolest thing, a couple months later, I'm helping our youngest daughter learn how to ride a bike. And she probably should have learned a few years earlier, but, but she's just scared, right? She's having a hard time. So I'm like, okay, honey, this is the day. And she, she had a couple cousins who were riding bikes, and so she was like feeling a little embarrassed, right? Because she's not riding like they are. So we take the bike, I load it in the car, and I take her to this, this big parking lot, a big church parking lot. I strap her little helmet on, pull her bike out. I get down on her level, and I'm talking to her. I'm like, honey, this is what it's going to We're going to stick your feet on the pedals. You're going to be pedaling. I'm going to hold the back, right, so you can't fall. I've got the, I, I got the training wheels are off. I'm going to hold the back, and I am not going to let go until you have this, right? And, and we're going to get this done today. So we do. She gets on the bike. She's, she's geared up. She's ready to go. We start walking around the, the parking lot. She's going real slow. And I am exerting all kind of effort to keep her up, right? Because she's not balancing at all. If I'm not holding on to her, she's over on her side. So I'm holding on to her. And we're going around and we're going around. We're 10, 15 minutes into this. I'm starting to sweat. My back's killing me. My arm is killing me holding this, this little bike up. And she gets it right? That moment where I've got no tension on my arm. She's balancing. She's got it. And I'm going along with her, making sure she's got it. And I've got this on video. It's the coolest thing. I'm holding on to her and I'm going along and she's picking up speed. I'm starting to run now. I'm I'm trying to keep up with her, trying to keep up with her. And she's picking up speed and she's going along and I let go of the bike and off she goes. Seriously, off she went. She went from absolute beginner, terrified, I had to hold her up before she, fall, she fell over, to, you know, bike extraordinaire. I mean, she's all of a sudden a bike professional. She's running around, riding around on her bike, and I've got, it's the coolest thing. And I'm thinking to myself, how is this possible? How can she go from something, from a beginner, from, from a nothing, to, to doing something that's pretty difficult, Right? I, but I couldn't give her that information. I couldn't put it inside her. She had to experience it and get it for herself. And then bike riding became something she understood, right? internalized. It was hers. And now she's a bike rider. And I sat there thinking about it going, this is crazy. And then all my frustration for golf and all that kind of came to me. And I said, wait a second. I don't think that you can. I think golf has to be this way. I don't think anybody can teach you golf. You've got to get it for yourself. Okay, so, so why, is, why is she getting this bike riding? What's the difference here? What's going on here? And I realized it was because of the feedback she was getting. It was instant and it was accurate feedback. If she felt like she was going to fall out of balance, she was going to go over. She knew that. She felt the more speed kept her more stable, and she knew that. It was instant. She could see where she was going, and she could go that direction, and she could change the, you know, change the direction of the handlebars. She could do whatever she did to get the bike to go that way. But it was instant feedback, and it was absolutely accurate feedback based on all her senses. And so we as humans, if we have accurate and instant feedback, can learn anything super quickly. That's what I came to. So then it was like, oh, okay, I got something here. How do I do that with golf, right? If you look at really anything that we do in life, where we have coaches is where we don't have instant and accurate feedback in those activities, right? So we got lots of golf coaches, and what are these golf coaches doing? 
They're trying to teach us stuff, right? But, but the really good ones are giving us accurate feedback as quick as they can. The problem with it is it's not instant and it's not always accurate, right? Because sometimes it's with the naked eye. And even when you take video and you do different things, it's different. And, you, and feedback is not the way the ball goes. You know, there's lots of different ways to hit a golf ball, make it go straight. And a lot of those ways to hit a golf ball, make it go straight are not good golf swings, right? So we've got this huge problem. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's got to be a way to get better feedback and it's got to be accurate and it's got to be instant or at least close there to as possible. So that became my quest. I started buying every possible gadget and contraption there was to see if I could get better feedback. So I, if I could develop something inside me where I could experience the golf swing for me and what it was. And I knew that if I could find something that gave me accurate and instant feedback, I could get better at golf. So I found a couple little cool things. I, I found one that was really, I thought, had a lot of potential. I shared it with Fred Shoemaker. We talked about it. It wasn't designed really well. It didn't work really well because the design was poor. It just, it, functionally, it just didn't work very well. It, it wasn't a, a repeatable thing that you could use over and over again. So you didn't have the accurate and instant feedback. It kept failing. But they came out with a version two of this thing. And that one was pretty cool. And, and, and fortuitously for me, um, Fred Schumacher had met with the investors of this particular company. And they had kind of asked him, uh, they were students of his, and they had asked him, hey, what do you think of this gadget? What do you think of this thing? And he remembers that we talked about it, we talked about it again. And so it became part of our mastery program, this little gadget. And I started using it a ton. And um, then at the... I believe it was at the end of 2000 and sort of the 2015-16 mastery close. So we always have a closing session in October. It, it just fit, in fact, the, the one that's going on right now just finished yesterday, I think. Um, but so we have this close and then you kind of come up with your plan for the winter. And this last day of close, it was raining cats and dogs in Carmel. And so we were inside in, in, in this uh, in, in the hotel, in this big room together. And we were using this, this, this gadget, right, this training aid, and kind of figuring out how to use it and what was important and what wasn't. And Fred Shoemaker shared a lot of stuff that was so important for me. But my goal and what I shared with, with Fred and what we kind of worked on together is I was going to go home and over the winter, I was going to work on my golf swing and I was going to do it indoors. And I was going to use this device and I was going to work hard and figure it all out. And that's what I did all of winter of 2016. Okay, long story longer. <laughs> I get done. We go into spring. I can start playing golf again. It takes a couple weeks for me to kind of take it to the course, right? Because I haven't been hitting golf balls in here. And I'm in the office right now. I am literally standing in the practice area. It is in my office. This is where I learned, to, where I learned my golf swing right here. So I take it to the course, I hit some balls. It's different. When you introduce a ball, it's a little bit different. I kind of fight through that and get it so my swing and with this accurate feedback from this and instant feedback from this device, I work into a, a place where I, I feel pretty comfortable where, where I'm, I'm swinging well and I'm hitting the ball solidly and I go out and play golf. Folks, best golf summer of my life without a doubt. It wasn't even close. I ended up shooting 23 rounds under par. The most I'd ever done previously was one. Okay, so 22 more rounds under par than ever, which is fantastic. My handicap went down to a zero. I had my first hole in one. 
uh, which was great. And, and I'm telling you, it wasn't one of those farces that bop, bop, you know, bounce off a tree and, and then hits a rock and happens to roll in. When it, left, when it left my club face, I said out loud, and my cousins who were with me will testify, that's perfect. I knew my swing was on. I knew I hit the ball well. I, I didn't even have to look up. I knew it was perfect. And it landed on the green, took one hop, spun back, and went in the hole. It was the perfect hole-in-one. It's exactly the hole-in-one you want for your first, right? Um, and, and I wasn't that excited because I was excited that the swing was perfect. The outcome, the ball flying through the air, I'm, I'm kind of divorced from that now. As long as I execute my stuff, the ball flying through the air is a given. Right? That's the cool part of what we're talking about. So I finished 2016. Same thing, mastery. I'm going to work on it. I worked on it a lot more over the, the, the 2017 winter. I came out of there playing well again and um, playing really well. Then July 3rd of 2017, uh, hole number eight, thick rough. I go through there, and Marissa kind of been bothering. I go through the rough to hit this shot, and some some crap in my right wrist, ligaments and tendons, and it just snap, and it's over. I can't I can't even hold a, onto a golf club. Nothing. It's over for me. No no golf. Right. I go and have it looked at. It's torn. Um, yeah, they decide not to operate, just uh, immobilize it, see if it heals, all this, which is brutal. Um, very, very tough situation for me because golf was, was everything. I mean, golf was my outlet. I have no other hobbies, folks. I, I have work, family, church, golf. That's it. I'm a pretty simple guy. But now golf's taken away. Um, but there was a couple things coming up. I had had a little team. We'd worked together, and we'd qualified for what's called the Troon Cup. And, and that's where the, all the Troon clubs come together and they have like a tournament. And Troon does an amazing job. I played in one earlier and I didn't want to miss this one. And it was in September. And here I am in July. And I know, okay, from now to September, I can't play any golf. But hopefully by then, I can play at least some because I don't want to miss it. Um, well, it turns out that all July, August, and September, like two and a half months was not enough time to heal. So we went out there, it was, it was back in Connecticut, and it was awesome, they did a great job. I strapped, I wrapped my wrist and strapped it up and had a, and had a big brace on it and did everything I could to play. Um, but I went to the, I went to the range uh, with my little training device and dialed my swing in like 10 swings. It hurt so bad that I didn't wanna hit a lot. But about 10, 12 swings, I dialed my swing in and played really well, shot in the 70s for those um, three days. We had a practice run and then two days of tournament. We actually, the second day, we won that day. I brought home some hardware. It's really cool. From the Troon Cup. But that led me to go, I was so relieved that I could go two and a half months without any practice, without any opportunity to practice. But I could dial my swing in with this accurate instant feedback and play reasonably good golf. That was a huge thing for me. But I hung up the clubs, right? Now it's September, I hang up the clubs. I'm like, I, I've got to let this thing heal. Golf's too important to mess with this, so I'm out. I'm not practicing, I'm not doing anything. I don't want to mess up with this wrist. 2000, let's see, in 2018, um, right, February, so this year in February, uh, a buddy calls me from St. George, and that's kind of southern, I'm in Utah. 
So up here in northern Utah, I'm up, up the Provo area, which is near Salt Lake City. We get cold and it gets snowy and you don't play a lot of golf. So I'm not playing anyway. The wrist is killing me. But my buddy invites me down to play with him and uh, meet with him on some business things. So I go down there. The wrist doesn't feel great. I swing a few times. It doesn't feel great. But I'm like, you know what? I think I might be able to eke out nine if I, if I play real easily and go out. And so I did. I, I went to the range again. It was 10, 15 swings. I dialed it in, sort of felt like I was good with my swing, got some accurate instant feedback, some really good data. And I went out and we played nine holes and I had a couple birdies and shot 36, even par, right? Decent. Didn't play from the tips, played from the blues. Um, but still, now I'd gone from September to February, no practice, nothing. But I take my little device, I go get it dialed in, and boom, I can go play really good golf. Well, even par, right? A couple birdies, a couple bogeys, even par walk off. And you feel like, hey, that's good. And then, uh, but the wrist didn't feel very good. So again, I hang up the clubs, can't really do anything about it. Um, Jan let's see, July of this year, 24th, which is a holiday here in Utah, it's called Pioneer Day, yay. But uh, a buddy of mine, the buddy who introduced me to Fred Shoemaker um, asked me to come play golf with him. And I'm like, you know what? Heck, it's been, right? It's been another five months since I've played. Yeah, I'll go try it again. So I go up, again, go to the range, get dialed in. I actually dialed in a little bit here at the office before I went over there. So I didn't really hit any balls over there. I dialed it in here at the office, went over there. We went and teed off. I had three birdies. I shot one over par, so I had four bogeys to go with my three birdies. But still, I walked off one over par. So over the course of 10 months, I'd played uh, 18 holes of golf, nine holes twice, and shot a 73 with literally no practice due to injury. And that's where I just kind of said, you know what? I got to share this thing. I got to share what I've learned. Now, I have swung almost 17,000 times with this device and with this system that I use. I don't want you to have to go through 17,000 swings to get there. I don't want you to have to go through two years through the entire winter to get there. So I'm going to give you everything I know to help you get there quicker, to help you get there, and I like to say, help you rapidly improve. I've done this with my kids. I have done this with my good friends, even my good buddy who introduced me to, to, to Fred Shoemaker, it works. I have done it long distance and had people send me videos and talk to them about how to use it. I have set up a doctor in his house how to use it. Everybody that I set up and show how to do this thing has improved instantly, gotten better, right? There's some tricks to it. It's a little quirky, but it happens. And so that is what I'm here to tell you. So Data Access Golf is about helping you rapidly improve your golf game by showing you how accurate and instant feedback makes it possible for you to know your golf swing and makes it possible for your golf swing to become more like riding a bike. I'll promise you this, that once you start with Data Access Golf, right, once you get into this program, you will never ever leave the golf course wondering to yourself, what the heck just happened there? When you get done with the round, and even if it's a really bad round, I don't care. If you will go to the range and, 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 and take up these little devices and do what we ask you to do 
and make a few swings, you will see instantly what you were doing and you will know exactly why it was causing a problem. And you will go hop in your car knowing that the next time you go, it's going to be better. Because the more we do this, right, the more we do this and then we see what's actually going on and we get that accurate and instant data back, the better we get. Unfortunately, it's impossible to do it like a bike, right, where we get it and that's it because there's so much going on and it's so quick and because the feedback is not instant and accurate when we're playing. There's no device that does that. And we tend to think that the golf ball is, is what is the, the golf ball's the feedback and the golf ball's not the feedback, the golf ball's a big fat liar, right? Until we get everything right and we can trust, that once everything in the swing works, we can t- trust the ball flight and actually we will know the ball flight before we even take a swing. At the moment of impact, you will know where that ball is going. So that's my promise to you. That's what Data Access Golf is about. Sorry for the long-winded story, but I wanted to get it out there. That's who I am. That's my journey. I know I can do it for you. I know Data Access Golf can work for you if you come along with us. So let's do it. Okay, until next time, this is Aaron Stewart, out. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com. And we'll see you on the next episode.